Ligris Moshe A to Z. I'm Rabbi Dov Linzer, Rosh Hashiva and President of Yeshivat Chovevei Torah Rabbinical School. We're in the middle of the letter O and looking at issues of organ donation. In the last episode, we focused primarily on live organ donation and whether to donate organs would be considered a mitzvah. Now, clearly it is a mitzvah, but the question is, how does one balance that against the sacrifice that a person is being asked to make and the way a person might have to expose themselves to to risk by donating an organ to someone else? Um, Specifically, for example, the case of donating a kidney. Um, In this episode, we're going to look not at the donation of organs from a live body, but the use of organs from a dead body. Now, the classic example of organ donation is from a dead body. When we say dead body, we don't mean a corpse that has been around for a few days. Um, We would be talking about uh, somebody that has just died a few minutes ago. In the classic example, if we're going to harvest the heart or the kidneys or any organ from a person, it is because we are ruling that brain death is considered death, um, something we will discuss in the next episode. And therefore, the person is dead, and we can immediately take the organs while they are still viable. So really, this issue um, of organs from a dead body applies to the vast majority of cases. Uh, Rav Moshe was not necessarily talking about those cases, but nevertheless, the the, the discussion and the relevance of the is the same. Now, what issues come about using organs from a dead body? We're going to be looking at two true vote, where if Moshe addresses himself to the to the problem number one of deriving benefit isur hanaah from a dead body from a corpse, um, and number two, what happens if the recipient is a kohen? Isn't there a problem of a kohen being in contact with the dead body or a part of a dead body? Now, of course, if this is a risk to life, all of those issues could be overridden because risk to life trumps all, all other concerns. But Rav Moshe is framing his uh, example in a case when it's not a risk to life, but it is something that is important for a person's health and well-being. Now, even there, we might say that that overrides these negative prohibitions. In the last episode, we saw that Moshe says it doesn't have to be a risk to life, even a risk to limb um, would override. So something that really um, allow, sort of restores a person's health in ways that could translate into extended years of life could be enough to override. But nevertheless, Rav Moshe is not interested in that discussion and finding a way to override. He wants to see whether specifically we can say that the problem of deriving benefit would not apply in this case. The problem to a Kohen would not apply in this case. And if he can achieve that, then uh, the circumstances really wouldn't matter and you would not have to get something to a level of risk of life, risk of limb, before you could say it was permissible. So let's take a look at these two vote. And this is in Igris Moshe Yordea 1, 229, and the following one, 1, um, 230. Okay, regarding the issue of attaching a limb or flesh or a bone um, from a dead body to a living person, um, doing a bone graft or they don't exactly do a flesh graft, but they will transfer muscle or uh, fat in some cases, um, attaching a limb. Is this a problem of deriving benefit from a dead body? And let's even say it's an issue of, I don't of like a, a finger or some minor limb where nobody would suggest that it's a question of pikuach nefesh or anything in that category. Um, is this a problem? Whether we're dealing with using it from a dead body of a Jew or from a non-Jew. And this is dated Tavshin Yudchet 19. 
58, and it's addressed to Yedidi HaRavagodim Mephorsam Yitzhak Isaac Libis. Uh, Yitzhak Isaac Libis um, is the person that is asking the question. Now, what we should note right at the beginning is that this was not asked as a bottom-line halachic question. This rabbi had written a whole pamphlet uh, exploring this issue, and he asked Rav Moshe for Rav Moshe's uh, thoughts and response. And it's for this reason that these two wrote are enormously long, uh, because Rav Moshe is spending 90% of his time dealing with all the technical back and forths in the Gemara, analyzing the argument made by the author of this pamphlet, considering many, many alternatives and possible readings and explanations, um, and actually none of which, or very little of which, would be relevant if he was focusing specifically on the Psach Halacha. So we're going to cut all of that out and focus specifically on the lines that are relevant for the Psach Halacha. But it's important to know that the reason he goes at such length is cause is because he is being asked to respond to this pamphlet, so it starts out much more as a theoretical and a Talmudic type of a question. And that's what he says at the very beginning. I received your pamphlet, and I read closely what you wrote. First I'll write my responses, my reactions to what you wrote. And then I will give my opinion as a bottom line halachic ruling. So the first issue he deals with in terms of this question of Isur Hanah, this tshuva is focused on Isur Hanah, the next one on a Kohen. Uh, the first issue he deals with is whether Isur Hanah, the prohibition of deriving benefit um, from a dead body, would apply if that benefit is derived in a not normal way, Shalokidarko. Now, we're going to have to discuss why it would be not normal. We'll get to that in a minute. But let's first establish whether we can find an out that way, that maybe it's only when it's normal benefit, and this would be considered not normal, and therefore it would just simply be permissible. Um, and then he does concede, however, there are opinions that say that's true. Uh, the Mishnah Lamelech, Haval Mishnah Lamelech, Perk Yudalid, Me'evel, Mashman Shemasik Tibet, Lo Nesar Elakader Chana'ai. It is true that there is a position that it is permissible, a dead body in the not normal way, but that's a very minority position. And Rav Moshe says, I am not prepared as a matter of halacha to rule this way, that fundamentally there's no problem of deriving benefit in an unusual way. Nimsalidina, this is the end of Anaf Dalid, when he has a huge tshuva, he breaks it up into Anafim, into branches, like little mini chapters. So now we have skipped through, we have you know, selected three lines from, from you know, uh, an enormous amount of material, from pages and pages and pages, and now we're at the end of branch number four. And he says the following, even though the Mishnah Melech says that it is not a problem when it is not in the normal way, forbids, and I've given a lot of reasons to forbid. And he says, there's only a tiny possibility that that's correct. Um, that maybe it's permissible for a dead body to derive benefit in a not normal way. It seems clear to me as a matter of halacha that we cannot rely on that minority opinion. Now, of course, one could say, well, as long as it's a minority opinion, you know, and this is an issue that's very weighty, it's somebody's uh, well-being and health, um, we should rely on that minority opinion. The Gemara 
classically says you can rely on a das yachid b'shas hadachak. So maybe Rav Moshe would have gone there if this was a more practical case and if he needed to go there. But he's going to find a way to permit this, even without relying on this small minority opinion um, that normally dead bodies um, are permissible when it's not uh, when it's not benefit in the normal way. And he is saying, no, I'm sorry, we are going to have to say that as a matter of halacha, even in this case, it is forbidden to derive benefit in a non-normal way, uh, even in a non-normal way from a dead body. So where does that leave us? But we're stuck. I've put forward a theory which to me seems obvious that this is not considered the normal benefit because it's not needed by most people. But that isn't going to help us because I've already explained that you cannot derive any benefit from a dead body, even not normal benefit. So now Rav Moshe is going to introduce a new factor, that we're normally talking about the bodies of non-Jews. And non-Jews, Rav Moshe is going to say, you are allowed to derive benefit from their, from their bodies, from their dead bodies. So while it won't work by Jews, the bodies of Jews, it will work by the body of non-Jews. So he writes now in Branch 6, the vast majority of bodies that are being used are of non-Jews, and it seems that Rav Moshe is sort of indicating, don't bother checking. Um, you should just work with that assumption. And when you're dealing with a non-Jew, it would seem, the body of a non-Jew, that relying on those rulings, it's somewhat debated, but when you have such a great need, that it's for somebody's health, even if we're not going to call it risk of life or risk of limb, we should rule like those that permit the body of a non-Jew for benefit. Um, even though the Mechaber rules that it is forbidden in benefit, he goes through the whole discussion of is it forbidden or is it not forbidden? And then he says like this, and seems that there are that the, those that permit are are very many. Um, there's only a few that say that a dead body is not permissible to derive benefit. And therefore, we should rule that, like the, the many authorities that say that you are permitted to derive benefit from the body of a of a non-Jew. Um, and even if it is the normal way of deriving benefit, but it seems that Rav Moshe introduced the whole pact that it was not normal because that would be another path, a path that he was not ready to go on, but he wanted to make it clear that that path definitely um, was theoretically there, that it is not a normal way of deriving benefit, and there are those that generally would permit that even by the body of a Jew. Um, and maybe he's putting it there just in case some cases are the body of a Jew and you, ha- and, you, know, you, you actually found out. It's unclear what Rav Moshe would do in an actual practical case. I, would, I believe that he would be prepared to rule like the way he laid out, that it's not natural benefit. Um, but, says Rav Moshe, the vast majority are non-Jews, and there you can just simply rely on the position that uh, there is no prohibition of deriving benefit from the body of non-Jews. So this is stage number one. This applies to all people even when it's not risk of life or risk of limb. Don't worry about a bone graft, about uh, about any type of organ transplant. There is no problem of deriving benefit. We assume it's from non-Jews, and parenthetically, even if it's from Jews, there might be a way to permit. 
We're now going to turn to the next tshuva, um, which is your day at 1, 2.30, and just really a continuation of the previous one. And this tshuva is going to look at the question of whether there is a problem for, uh, for kohanim in particular, because if there's part of a dead body that is attached to them, are they not becoming impure and tamay, and that is forbidden for kohanim. So let's take a look. Um, now, of course, if this is an issue of risk of life in any way, um, or even a type of a transplant that might shorten his life, uh, like let's say a kidney transplant, um, you know, that would be an issue of pikuach nefesh, and there really wouldn't be a question here at all. Um, certainly, postgame are prepared in cases uh, such as these to say that it doesn't mean he's going to die immediately, but that something could really shorten his life without this type of a transplant. Um, but Rav Moshe has framed the question not to be about a risk of life, but to be a case of just general health. Um, and therefore, we had to navigate the issue of forbidden benefit, and now we have to get, navigate the issue of a Kohen, because you're not allowed to transgress a negative prohibition just for health that is not related to actual risk of life. So let's see what he says about this. How about the fact that if this patient is a Kohen? Now, the first way, he's going to look at a number of um, perspectives or a number of uh, strategies, approaches to why this might be permissible even if the patient is a Kohen. Um, and it starts by questioning whether he really is a Kohen. Uh, we don't know today who is Kohanim. People certainly have a tradition. People have the name Kohen or, you know, Katz or so on. But ultimately, we don't really know who is a Kohen. And already a few centuries ago, the Rivash raised this point to say that uh, if everybody's just a doubtful Kohen, we might be able to be lenient when it comes to questions about who the Kohen could matter, marry. That if there's already another reason to doubt, or we're dealing with only a rabbinic restriction, then we could apply the principle of either a double doubt, a sveksveka, or a safek, a doubt with a rabbinic restriction, and that would allow us to be lenient. So the question is, is that relevant here as well? Can we start by the fact that he's only a doubtful Kohen, and that would give us more latitude? Would it totally solve the problem, but would give us more latitude? And Rav Moshe says that that is not relevant here. Why not? He says like this, He says, when it comes to the issue of uh, becoming in contact with dead bodies, the practice that this Kohen and all Kohanim have is to be very careful with that. They won't go into a cemetery. They'll avoid even going into a hospital because of the morgue. So they act in a regular way that they consider themselves to be Kohanim when it comes to the issues of coming in contact with the dead. Now, how is that different than the issue of marriage, where the Rivash was lenient? So if Moshe explains, there's regular ways they control their lives in, in terms of uh, their concern of coming in contact with dead bodies, but you, the, the way that you would have to control your life when it comes to issues of marriage is not ongoing, is not regular, is not as evident. And here's what he says. He says, Mishum when it comes to the question about who they can marry, then they have not established any practice. Why? First of all, Rav Moshe says, um, he says that it's not enough that you look at the totality of Kohanim and you say, you know, when we look at all the Kohanim in the community or in the world, people who consider themselves Kohanim, you know, it's clear that they avoid marrying divorced women or converts or so on. No, you have to look at each individual Kohen because somebody else could be a Kohen and I wouldn't be a Kohen. So let's look at this one person's practice. Is it evident 
Kohen from the way he practices that he is considers himself a Kohen when it comes to issues of marriage. Well, it could be he was, you know, somebody suggested a woman and he said, I'm not in, I can't because she's divorced or so on. But Rav Moshe says, it certainly is not as ongoing and as evident as the issue of impurity. And he says the following, once or twice in his life, you know, when he was looking to get married, he had to turn down certain offers, possibly. Now, of course, you could be looking to get married and turning down a lot of offers, but Rav Moshe continues. He says like this, If you just were, you know, maybe the Shadchan knows that he's turning down offers, but if you just look at him, you know, in terms of how the community perceives him, there's no evidence that he's turning down people because he's a Kohen. Maybe he just hasn't found, you know, the right wife. So therefore, he says, even when he makes turns people down, it's you know it doesn't establish a chazaka. And now again, maybe he's turning a lot of people down. It's well known in the town that he avoids, you know, he can't marry uh, divorced women because he's a Kohen. So why doesn't that establish a chazaka? So Rav Moshe says like this, um, this is not self-evident. If you watch him, you know, you, it's not sort of evident by the way he acts that he considers himself a Kohen when it comes to marriage. It could be sort of an, a knowledge in the town, but the external observ- observing of him does not indicate this fact. There's no chazaka. So what Rav Moshe has said is a mind-boggling idea. And actually, this is quite important in terms of Rav Moshe's general approach to the issue of status. Rav Moshe says this person can be treated as a definite Kohen when it comes to issues of coming in contact with a dead body because it's externally evident from the way this person acts that they consider themselves a Kohen or when it comes to those issues. They don't go into hospitals. They don't go into cemeteries and so on, but this person would not be considered a definite Kohen when it came to issues of marriage because it's not obvious from the way he acts um, in the marriage area, you know, it's not as self-evident that he considers himself to be a Kohen. Now, one would say, one minute, you know, either he is Kohen or he's not a Kohen. How could you split it? Uh, but this becomes the issue, you know, that halacha can't decide what the reality is, so it has to assume a certain legal status. And Rav Moshe makes the sort of somewhat shocking assertion that it can assert two different legal statuses or could it assert a legal status for one aspect and not the other? When it comes to impurity, you are, you are because of the way you act, you are presumed to be a Kohen. When it comes to other issues, that's an open question. So number one, the Chiddush is this type of a splitting. The other fact that makes it a Chiddush is that Rav Moshe says it has to do with the way a person acts in a way that's demonstrable to other people. Um, and that's why even if he's turning down some Shidduch ideas, it's not sort of demonstrable to the community. And this is very important when Rav Moshe deals with other issues in terms of Shabbos violation, um, other issues when it comes to denominational affiliation. He very much focuses not only on what might be really going on, but on the way that this person's actions uh, demonstrate and are interpreted by the community. So now Rav Moshe is saying, unfortunately, when it comes to issues of impurity, his practice has established him as a definite Kohen. That does not give us any leniency. Okay, that's first branch. Second branch, we're going to try another way. Now, when it comes to the rivet, what about the fact, not that they are, might not be a Kohen, but about the fact that maybe 
it's not forbidden for Kohanim nowadays to become impure because we generally say that nowadays everybody is impure. Is Tameh, you know, we don't know um, really uh, like who we're coming in contact with. If you're in the hospital and you're born in a hospital, there's an idea that when even a vessel is in the same room as a dead body, that vessel, you know, communicates the same degree of impurity. So a metal vessel. So we assume that nowadays everybody is impure. And the Ravid's position is that if 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 that is the case, that Kohanim are impure, already, there's no prohibition for them to come in contact with a dead body and for them to become impure again. Now, some want to limit the rivet and say it's not a negative, it's a positive mitzvah, or it's a rabbinic mitzvah. Rav Moshe looks through all of the issues, but you do have the position of the rivet that would say that, you know, there is no prohibition for Kohanim to become Tamei. So maybe we can rely on that position in a case such as this. So what does Rav Moshe have to say? He works through the whole position and he come out, comes to the following conclusion. It's true in the vast majority of Kohanim, there is not a biblical violation for the Ravid. Is it rabbinic? Not so clear. But then he says, Rabbeinu Tam agrees with this, and maybe there's no prohibition, not even a rabbinic prohibition. So let's rely on the Ravid and say that it should be totally permissible. We don't normally rely on the Ravid, but let's do it now. Rav Moshe says, You cannot add the rivet in, factor the rivet in, not only not fully rely on the rivet, just factor it in with another factor and say, well, maybe this position, maybe the rivet. No, the rivet, says Rav Moshe, is totally rejected from halacha. Um, it's only a, an individual opinion. Now, this is, again, quite surprising because, you know, if this was Rav Avadya Yosef, he would say, well, you know, you're allowed to rely on a das yachid b'shas ha-dechak, um, even in a biblical circumstance when it's really exigent circumstances, and this is no more exigent circumstances than this. Um, and also, also, if we factor in other factors, we can certainly combine this to be a basis for leniency. Um, Rav Moshe, it's not totally clear why, um, is, but he completely pushes this out of the conversation. It could just be, again, Rav Moshe, in contrast to Rav Avad Yosef, goes by what is, uh, you know, rationally and conceptually compelling or a possibility, and he just does not see this as making sense, um, and he, and therefore he pushes it out of the conversation. So we can't rely on the fact that the person might not be a Kohen. You can't rely on the fact that it might not be prohibited for Kohanim nowadays to become impure. Of course, another reason could be a, you know, broader societal reason that if you sort of adopted the position of the right even in certain cases, would that lead to a general leniency around Kohanim and Tum'ah? So maybe that has something to do with it as well. So now Rav Moshe tries a third approach, and this is in the third branch, Anaf Gimel. And this is the way that he, uh, similar way that he dealt with the issue about the uh, prohibition of contracting uh, benefit, excuse me, the prohibition of deriving benefit from a body. And that is uh, the fact that the bodies are bodies of non-Jews. And okay, but it's still prohibit non-Jews' bodies still contracts, uh, communicates to my impurity, and um, it's still forbidden for a Kohen to become in contact with that, isn't it? So the answer is not necessarily. There is the position of the Uraim 
that because the body of a non-Jew does not communicate tum'ah in a ohel, if there's like in the same house, it's only by direct contact, that fact that it's a different type of tum'ah and it works by different rules means that it does not fall under the prohibition of kohanim to become impure. Now, kohanim are only prohibited to become impure to dead bodies, but even with not any other thing that communicates impurity, but even within dead bodies, there are some exceptions um, to the things that actually would be a transgression, even though it would communicate the same degree of impurity. So here, when you touch the body of a non-Jew, a corpse, it does communicate the same degree of impurity, but maybe because this is a different type of a tum'ah, or it has different rules, it does not spread under a roof, therefore it is not the case that the, that the Torah would, ha, would prohibit it. So let's see what Rav Moshe says about this. He says, It actually is logically compelling here, as opposed to the Ravid. Since a, not, a body of a non does not communicate impurity under, you know, under a roof, um, even though they do when it's in direct contact, then the Kohanim would not be biblically prohibited. And this would be a basis that you could uh, touch the body of non-Jews for Kohanim, um, and certainly in this case to rely on it uh, for, this, uh, for this type of surgery. So let's see what Rav Moshe says about this. He said, actually, the arranged position makes a lot of sense. So he concludes this branch by saying the following. Um, there are many there are many positions that hold like the Uraim. So it's perfect. We have the position of the Uraim that has a lot of supporting positions. It's a Shas Adachak. Let's rely on that since it's a body of a non-Jew. Um, so Rav Moshe doesn't want to leave it at that, or he wants to see if we can find other position, other bases for saying it's lenient before he puts it all together and comes to his conclusion. So uh, he says now in Anaf Dalid, in the fourth branch, that maybe here's another way you can be lenient. The Kohen is going to be unconscious. He's going to be under anesthesia at that time. So maybe, you know, it's being done to him. He's not doing it. So maybe he's not prohibited. So if Moshe says, yeah, that's not true, because the prohibition is not to act not touch, but not to become Tameh. So even if you allow somebody to touch you, if you were, you know, that would be a violation of the prohibition. And even though here, you know, you're unconscious and you're not considered to willfully be doing anything, since you've arranged it beforehand um, to be done when you're unconscious, that certainly makes you liable, if not for sort of, uh, you know, um, uh, intentionally violating, but there's a sense of responsibility and liability for the violation. You cannot consider this person to be a total onus, to be totally forced. So now Rav Moshe takes this, so, so now Rav Moshe says, okay, but maybe we can be lenient because he's not just unconscious, he actually is put under. He's been put under by anesthesia, and if it takes a whole set of uh, process to wake him up by giving him other medication, says Rav Moshe, maybe if he can't wake up naturally himself, he's considered totally out of the category of mitzvot, and then it would not be like he did the act and it's a question of whether he's responsible or not and was he awake or not it would not even be any liability at all but Rav Moshe says you know that's hard to assume because uh, number one that's questionable and not to put him in that category and number two says Rav Moshe it's not the reality you know that he can't wake up on his own he says it appears to me even though normally they do give him other types of medications to wake him up, but Rav Moshe says, but that's not necessary. He will naturally wake up. 
So since somebody will naturally wake up, you cannot say he's completely out of the category of mitzvot, and therefore the most you can say is he's not, he's an anus, it's being done to him, he's not awake and doing it consciously. But again, Rav Moshe says, yeah, but you arranged it, so that's not going to help you. And he cites the Gemara's story about Lot and his daughters, where Lot allowed himself to get drunk, knowing what was going to happen, you know, by the second night he knew what was going to happen, and he allowed himself to get drunk, and therefore Therefore, he is still liable and responsible. Okay, so that can't work. So where are we? So Rav Moshe has now laid out a couple of possibilities. Maybe they're not real Kohanim, he rejects that. Maybe the fact that Kohanim nowadays are impure rejects that. Um, and therefore, even if they are impure, it's still prohibited to come in contact with a dead body. So number three, though, the position of the Urayim, that the biblical prohibition does not apply to the bodies of non-Jews, that, he said, is a serious possibility. The idea that he's asleep, no, nope, he rejects that as well. So we're left with one possibility. And that's what he says here in Anav Zion, in the seventh branch. He says... The conclusion of all of this is that only the Uranium's position is their basis to be lenient, and even though there are a lot who support it, there are a lot who disagree. And Rav Moshe, while he could have gone by the approach of the Uranium um, and relied on it, uh, certainly he says it makes sense, and there are others who assume it, he wants to find a path to say that this is totally not a problem at all, according to everyone. So what is this going to be? So he now lays out a different argument, something that probably would have occurred to us, because what we would have said is, what are you talking about? If this gets grafted onto his body, it's part of his body. You can't say we still look at it as part of the corpse, so it's not a problem. So if Moshe says, okay, that's true, but at the time of the surgery, it's not yet a part of his body, and that's where there's a prohibition of, of this, uh, you know, of this piece of, an, of, of a corpse coming in contact with the Kohen. Once it's already on the body, different story. But how about that moment of contact? So if Moshe says the following, he says, Rav Moshe says, when you make a cut, you know, that part of the body that they're inserting it to that's been exposed through a cut is considered to be a hidden location in the body. And a hidden location in the body, even now that it's been exposed, it's not considered like an act of touching a corpse. And therefore, it is not a problem because it is a touching through a hidden location in the body and not through exposed skin, naturally exposed skin. So now Rav Moshe deals with one final question, which is, okay, when you actually uh, put it in the body, it's not a problem um, after it's sewn up and because at the moment of putting it in, it's only a contact with the inside part of the cut. But what about if after you're done, some of what was grafted onto the body is now exposed? Isn't that a problem that you're touching an exposed part of the body with an exposed part of the body? So if Moshe says no, and he says now exactly what I think would have occurred to us, which is that once it's actually attached to the body, it's no longer you have a piece of a corpse in your body. You now have this as part of your body. This is considered an equal part of you as anything else, and therefore touching it would not be a problem. So he writes as follows. Something that is serving the purpose of the body, and you want it there, and you're intentionally putting it there, and you're putting it there so it should become one with the body, and that it should become, you know, integral to the body. This type of a thing, says Rav Moshe, that 
even if some part of it is exposed. So he says it's still not a problem because now it is part of your body. So the way Rav Moshe solves this is by saying the actual act of the incision and the original act is not a problem. And then once it is part of your body and sewn up, then it's certainly not a problem. And even that initial act is fine because it's only touching an inner part of your body. Now, this doesn't deal with all cases. It doesn't deal with a case of a skin graft, for example, or graft or uh, grafting a finger, transplanting a finger onto a body where everything is exposed. Um, and it would seem that there is certainly what to rely on based on what Rav Moshe laid out. You have basically the composition of the Rivid, which he didn't like, that everybody was Tamei, but you have the Uraim, that it's the non-Jew. You have the fact that he's asleep. Um, and it would definitely seem that you could combine those considerations um, in a time of need. But maybe Rav Moshe would rule that way. He definitely seemed drawn to the Uraim. But here he is trying to say that certainly, certainly, as a regular case, this would have be completely unproblematic at all based on this approach of touching only an inner part of your body. So Rav Moshe now has, um, you know, smoothed the path, laid the groundwork to allow for organ transplants from, uh, from dead people. And as we said before, um, it's basically always a case of dead, well, not always, but the standard transplant is from a dead person uh, because once one is ruling brain death, then you harvest the organs. Um, and that Rav Moshe says it is not a problem of deriving benefit because we assume that they're non-Jews. Um, and it is not a problem also of a Kohen because of the way the surgery is done and afterwards it becomes part of your body. So now we have, that we have cleared the way for organ donations from dead bodies, we will look next time at exactly this question of when is a person considered dead um, and is that early enough, is that brain death, so it gives us an opportunity to harvest most of the organs. Thanks for listening to Igros Moshe A to Z with Rabbi Dove Linzer, now celebrating over 10,000 listens. This podcast is brought to you by Yeshivat Chovavei Torah and is a project of the Lindenbaum Center for Halachic Studies. With close to 150 rabbis in the field, YCT is leading and inspiring Klal Israel with a Torah that is nuanced, compassionate, and contemporary. Check out yctorah.org to learn more.